Hey, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again as we continue our series through the book of Galatians. Um, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. As you turn there, let me start with by asking you a question. What was the first career that you really seriously wanted to do? Was it a policeman, a firefighter, a lawyer, a doctor, an athlete? What was the first thing, even as a child, that you were really passionate and told your parents and your friends that this is what I'm going to be when I grow up? I don't know about you, but for me, I wanted more than anything to be a magician. Now, before you judge me or laugh, know that I was serious about it. This was passionate for me. Um, this was before the days of YouTube, and so if you wanted to learn magic, you had to buy the 1999 box set with the DVDs, and I was a student. I mean, I had the scarves, I had the balls, I had the cups. I had all of these magic tricks that I was learning. I was serious. I was going to be a magician when I grew up. Um, but the magic that I loved the best was card tricks. The ability to, to do something simple with no props and no setup and to just wow and amaze people with something that just blew their minds. Uh, but my older brother, who wasn't even interested in magic, had this card trick that he showed me one day and it blew me away. And I had to know how he did it. I had to know. Now, I'm nine years old. I'm pretty much in my own mind an expert at magic at this point. But for some reason, I could not figure out how he did this trick. Now, he did it in front of me over and over and over again. And I could not figure out how he did it. Then one day, years later, I had almost forgotten about this trick. He asked me, he said, hey, do you want to learn how to do that trick? And of course, I said yes. And let me tell you, church, when I found out how the trick was done, it was the most disappointing day of my life. Because the thing with magic is you're watching it happen, but you can't see what's really happening. Their hands are right in front of you. It's nothing that you can't see, but you can't discern and figure out what's being done unless someone reveals it to you. And that revelation is actually the centerpiece of what Paul is going to be bringing to us in God's word today. This idea of being able to see but not really understand. The need for God to reveal something to us. And unlike that magic trick, it doesn't lead to disappointment and frustration. It actually leads to life, hope, and joy. And so let's dive into Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through all the way through chapter 2, verse 10. And we're going to see three things that Paul says was revealed to him by God. The first thing we're going to see is that his calling to preach the gospel to Jesus Christ to the Gentiles was revealed to him. Nextly, he's going to talk about his conversion, how he was actually shown who Jesus was by God himself. And then lastly, the necessity of the local church was revealed to him. And we're going to walk through these, not just so we can see how Paul grew in his faith, so that we can be strengthened by what God is saying to us in his word. So let's read verses 11 and 12 of Galatians chapter 1 together. It says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul starts off not with his personal conversion only, but he's really leaning and calling our attention to his proclamation, his message, his call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he starts there even before he gets to his personal conversion, I believe, because the message of God is more important than the messenger of God. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, we see that there are some people that were troubling them, that were trying to distort the gospel. And the way that they were trying to distort the gospel is not just confusing the message about what Jesus did and, and Jesus Christ being enough for salvation, but they were also trying to attack the messenger of this gospel, Paul. They were claiming that Paul wasn't a bona fide apostle. He didn't have the credentials or the resume or the pedigree necessary to be a real apostle. And so his message, therefore, could not be trusted. 
And Paul in these next several verses is going to not just defend his apostleship, defend his calling, but he's actually going to point to not himself as the qualifier, not to others as those who qualify, but to God himself as the source of his apostleship and his even life and conversion. So he begins with the message that he preaches. He says, no, and my message didn't come from the ordained leaders of the time. It didn't come from other study. It didn't come from the, the credentials of men, but no, it came from God himself. And we see that in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9 tells the story of Paul's conversion. He, before he was a Christian, he was a, a faithful and zealous Jew, the Bible says. And that, meant him an, that made him an enemy of the cross. He actually persecuted Christians. As a matter of fact, he had gotten permission just recently to go and arrest any man or woman who called themselves a Christian and dragged them in front of the courts to be tried. And so as he's on his way to go arrest and persecute Christians on this road that he's headed to the city of Damascus, all of a sudden him and those he's with see a bright light shining down. He's blinded and falls to his knees. And all of a sudden a voice thunders from heaven. And that voice is of Jesus. Now, this is happening after the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So this is the living Jesus Christ speaking down from heaven to Paul saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now, that's an interesting question because Jesus is no longer physically in this world. And so what does he mean by what are you doing persecuting me? And this is a beautiful reminder, church, that we are the body of Christ. That's not just a cliche that Christians say. It's actually a truth that even Jesus affirms here that the persecution of his saints is the same thing that's felt in his own body. And so he asked Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul asked the question, well, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Paul is blinded by the light and, and, sh and shackled by that truth. And so he's led away um, and a man named Ananias prays for him. He lays his hands on him. And we pick up that story in Acts chapter 9, verse 18. It says, at once when Ananias was praying for him, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. In verse 20, it says that he immediately began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, that he is the son of God, that Jesus is the son of God. And so Paul has this wonderful conversion experience. He instantly goes from a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of the gospel. He immediately goes to, to sharing that Jesus is the son of God, that there is no forgiveness of sins in the keeping of the law, but only in faith in the Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one, Jesus the Christ. And so he goes from immediately from persecutor to proclaimer. And he's saying that that vision wasn't from a study, it wasn't from hard work. In Galatians chapter one, it says that came from a revelation of Jesus Christ from Jesus Christ, Christ revealing himself to Paul, giving him this commission to go and preach the good news to the gospel. And so not only is Paul's call revealed to him, but also his conversion, which he goes to next. In verse 13, it says, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. What is Paul saying right now? He's setting up a profound truth of the second revelation, but before he gets there, he's reminding us of his past, that he was a not only a persecutor of the church, but that persecution wasn't because he was a bad person. It actually came from his zealous study of the scriptures. He thought that Christians were actually heretics. He thought faithfulness to the scriptures meant stamping out this new Christian religion. 
And so not only was he a student of Judaism, he was the head of the class. His zeal prompted him to go beyond even his classmates and his contemporaries. He was a Jew of Jews, trained by the best learned man. And yet that was not enough. In verse 15, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Did you hear that? God was pleased to reveal his son to and in Paul for the saving of his soul. You see, Paul didn't just receive a commission and a call. He actually experienced the revelation and the new life that comes from knowing Jesus. And that didn't come from his study. That didn't come from him knowing traditions of his ancestors. That didn't come from him being a leading Jew. No, that came from the grace of God revealed to him and in him. You see, Paul was saved by grace. And that same message of salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, is the message he not only preaches, but the message that he experienced in this moment. Now, but we had heard about his former life in Judaism. And Paul begins to then explain kind of his backstory of what happened next. In the next several verses in Galatians chapter 1, it says that he spent three years in Arabia, then went back to Damascus and traveled to different cities preaching this good news of Jesus Christ. But there was a problem. The problem was people remembered who Paul was. You see, not, he was the leading person who dragged Christians to jail. When Stephen, the first recorded Christian martyr, was murdered, Paul was there holding the coats and affirming everything that was done. You see, Paul was not a good guy. Paul had made terrible mistakes. The very same people he is now persecuting, he was persecuting, he is now preaching hope to. But people don't forget, do they? People don't forget easily who we are. Even though God has transformed and changed us, it's hard for people to realize that we are actually different people. And so Paul faced that problem, but God even used that for his glory and for Paul's good. He says, um, verse 23 of Galatians 1, they simply kept hearing those who saw Paul preaching, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith. He won't try to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So why were they glorifying God because of Paul? Because they saw a difference in Paul's life. He was a radical conversion story. He went from killing Christians and persecuting and jailing Christians to now building churches and baptizing new believers and teaching and preaching the way of Jesus Christ. And that Paul's past, although as dark and as sinful as it was, did not disqualify Paul from being used by God. That's to set somebody free right now who's watching because maybe like Paul, you have a past of your own. I know I do. I know one of my, uh, I planted Radiant Church about three years ago and living in Philadelphia at the time, although I'm born and raised here in Charleston. Um, and one of my concerns, if I'm honest, was coming back to a city that had only known the very unsaved version of Philip. Most of my memories in the city are not memories of me preaching the good news on the, on the corners. Most of my memories are not me doing ministry. Most of my memories are, min are memories of me being in sin, living in sin, and encouraging others to join me in the same. And I had to wrestle even internally with, can I actually go back to Charleston and start a church? Could I actually go back to Charleston and talk about Jesus? Would people believe me? Or would people just remember who I was? Would people just bring up my past? Would that get in the way of what God wants to do? Maybe it would be actually better for the gospel for me to not come and start a church, for me to not get in the way of what God is doing because of my track record, my resume and my pedigree wasn't good enough. And this is a reminder for me and hopefully for you that God does not rely on the resumes of men. 
God does not rely on the pedigrees of men. God does not rely on you having it all figured together all your life. You aren't running for a political office where every bad thing you've ever done will be brought to light. No, this is a redemption that is offered not because you are good enough, but because you serve a God who is loving enough. A God who cares enough about you to take even the worst parts about your life and redeem them. And so not only can your past be used for the glory of God, but the darker your past, if you submit your life to Jesus, will actually make the light of the gospel shine even brighter. Paul says they glorified God because of me. Why? They glorified God because they saw who I used to be. They see who I am now and they say only God could have done that. Is that your story, Christian? Is that your story? Do you try to hide your past and hide your mistakes or do you allow even that to point to Jesus? Are you honest enough to say that I was once a sinner lost in my sin, but now I am striving to be like Christ as Christ lives within me. And that difference can only be accomplished by a powerful God, by a loving Savior. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ that Paul experienced, that Paul preached, and hopefully is true of you and I, that our past and our credibility and our resume is not dependent upon how God can use us, but God using us is all dependent upon our submission and faith in him. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, because I promise you, your resume can't compete with Paul's. A killer of Christians, a persecutor of the church, one who adamantly defied and would argue with the Christians now became a apologist. I think of the, the C.S. Lewis uh, quote and story. Uh, C.S. Lewis was trained by a famous atheist who trained him in the art of, of rhetoric and how to logic. And the goal of that teacher was to train C.S. Lewis to defeat Christians, to be able to argue them out of their, their faith. At the C.S. Lewis's conversion, he points actually to that teacher that trained him to actually defeat Christianity, became, allowed C.S. Lewis to become one of the greatest apologists of the Christian faith ever. And so whatever God uses, sometimes what the devil meant for evil, God will use for our good. What what was meant to destroy the church is oftentimes being used to build the church. Even your story can be used by God to build the church. So the revelation of his call to preach the gospel and then the revelation of his conversion about who Christ was. And the last revelation is something that we oftentimes miss. And it's found in Galatians chapter two in the first two verses. Look with me. It says then. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. What is Paul doing right now? You see, Paul had been doing ministry for 14 years, preaching and teaching and building churches but God told him one day, Paul, I need you to come to the church. I need you to present yourself to the, to the leaders of the church and submit your message and your life and your mission to them so that they can affirm what I'm doing in your life. Now, this may seem like a small thing that why would Paul do this after all this time? But I think not only was it necessary for Paul to not only receive a divine revelation, but a very human affirmation of that call. But it's also a reminder for us that the local church is necessary. The local church is necessary. You're watching this from a live stream, whether it be on a phone or a tablet or a TV somewhere right now. Um, for many of us, this is a new experience. We're used to gathering on Sunday with our family, with our people. We're used to celebrating and we're still kind of getting used to this live stream thing. But for many others who are watching this right now, this was your normal routine. On many Sundays, you find yourself watching something on TV or on your phone, listening to a sermon later in the week because you haven't yet found a church. 
you tried a couple and they don't seem to work. You always find something wrong with this one, something wrong with that one. Maybe you stayed at one for a little bit of time, but then you found out something that you didn't like and you left. And so there seems to be, even among believers, those who love the Lord, who are called and converted, like Paul was, to have this problem with the church, to feel like they can have Jesus without his bride. And this is a reminder that that is not so. If you were to take Jesus, you must take his family. If you were to become saved and redeemed, you must be adopted as well. And that gives you brothers and sisters. You see, the gospel is not just God saves um, sinners and makes them saints. The gospel is God takes sinners, makes them saints, and then joins them together to become siblings. You see, God is coming back for a church, not a bunch of scattered Christians in their private life. And so this is a reminder that we need the local church. So if that's your story, if you, for whatever reason, find yourself hopping from church to church to leaving and then staying, or maybe even giving up altogether that a church can be found, would you take this time during this separation, during this quarantine, to really examine your heart and say, do I really want God even as he comes through God's people? Am I submitted to the local church? Is there anyone like Paul who could affirm the giftings that I have in my life? Is there anyone who can affirm the call that I have in my life? Is there anyone that can give a corrective word in my life? Or have I built my Christian life around me and Jesus all alone? And this is a reminder that once again, this isn't a, just a thought that Paul had one day. He didn't just go and say, man, I've been out here by myself for so long. I should go find a church. No, God told him in a revelation, God said, go to the church. God said, go to the church and be found among them and be affirmed by them. And what is the fruit of Paul's submission to that? We see in verses 9 and 10 of Galatians chapter 2, it says, When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. You see, in this moment, Paul received two things. One, he received an affirmation that God really did call you. And that's one of the roles of the local church is to affirm what God is doing. You see, submission to the local church doesn't get in the way of what God is calling you to do. It's actually what puts rocket fuel upon what God has called you to do. Because now he's sent with the blessing and the grace of the church to go to the Gentiles. But there was also a corrective word. They said, Paul, as you go preach, remember the poor. They, say, they didn't add anything to his message. They just made a slight correction. And Paul submits to that. He didn't say, no, that's not what God told me. And Paul didn't say, no, that's not, that's not what Jesus told me on the Damascus road. No, he heard the correction and wisdom of the taking care of the poor. That we, our message of preaching to the spirits of men doesn't preclude us from taking care from the lives of men and women. As a matter of fact, that's actually the more biblical example of preaching and teaching along with care and comfort. In Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus doing the very same thing. Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus preaching and teaching. And after a long day, he's exhausted. And so he goes away by himself and invites the disciples in to have some private discipleship and teaching time. But then the people find where Jesus is and they come to him claiming they want more from him. And so he sacrificially gets up and yet again begins to teach and heal and preach. And finally, it begins late in the day. And the disciples say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, send these people away so they can go eat and they can take care of their business. It's been a long day. In Luke 9, 13, Jesus says, no, you feed them. You who are teaching them the word of God, you feed them. And so we see that the preaching of the gospel is oftentimes accompanied by the caring of people's lives and providing for their physical needs. And so Paul wanted to be sure that he knew that and was obedient to that. And so he included that even in his resume. So what does this tell us today? Paul's um, revelations that he had his calling 
revealed. He has Christ revealed to him in his conversion, and he had the necessity of the church revealed to him by God. What does that tell us today? That tells us a few things. One, we need the active working of the Holy Spirit in our Christian lives every single day. You see, Paul was a student of the scriptures himself, and yet it took a divine revelation for him to see Jesus in the Bible. And so even as Christians, as we read the Bibles, we read and study other books, it takes a divine revelation. It takes Holy Spirit power for us to see what God is saying to us. And so a practical application to this truth is, would we be people of prayer? Would we be people who pray as we read? Would we be people who pray as we study, not allowing for our intellect to take over, but for God's revelation to drive our understanding of the scriptures? And if for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what does this mean for you? And it's actually really good news because it means your past, your background, your resume, your bona fides, none of that stuff matters. What matters is God working in you. And if God is working in you, that's what matters. That's what qualifies you. Many of us try to disqualify ourselves as candidates for grace because we are not good enough. We're not smart enough. We don't study enough. We don't know enough. We've got too much going on in our lives. And so we disqualify ourselves as candidates for grace when those are the very same things that God wants to use and redeem in our lives so that he can be glorified and worshiped. And so if you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, would you hear that God's calling you in, that God is already speaking to you now through his word in this moment, calling you to come? to come to trust in him, not in what you've done or haven't done, not in what you've accomplished or haven't accomplished, but to trust solely in him for salvation. And whether your past is marred with success or failures, it doesn't matter. We all find equality at the cross of Jesus Christ because it's he who calls us to him. And that's what revelation really is. It's taking something that was hidden and revealing it. And just like the magic trick that I learned from my brother, um, when I figured it out, it all made sense. Well, now I can't unsee it. Every time he would do it afterwards, I'd be able to spot it out. I'm like, oh, there it is. There it is. I see it now. Just like that revelation brings insight in life. So when God begins to work in our lives, we begin to see him working in other areas. And so, Christian, if you're looking around and you don't see where God is working, you are frustrated by your circumstances. You are overwhelmed by anxiety and uncertainty. Pray that God would give a revelation of God. Show me how you're working so not that I can judge it as OK or not OK, so that I can join you in where you're working. And that's the beauty of revelation, because once you see it, it brings joy and you begin to see God working in everywhere. And so would you join me in praying to the Holy Spirit that he would bring life and illumination and revelation as we read and study, as we live our lives? Would we be able to see where God is working as he's been all along? And dear unbeliever, dear friend who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, know that all that's needed is God is working in you. And if you're watching this now, my prayer has been all week that God would be. And so maybe he's calling you right now to turn from who you were and to trust in who he's calling you to be. And all of that is by faith and it's a gift from God. 